This is the first of uh, six Sundays in Lent, people. So we're, for our sermons, we're kind of having a Lenten prayer sampler. Uh, each week we'll be focusing on a different way of improving your con- conscious contact with God, as they say in AA. And I also just wanted to mention that we have available, this is pretty cool, uh, our own Joan Miller, the little artwork here, the Sarum Hands. So she signed a bunch of these, so if anyone would like to take a copy of the Sarum Hands Home as a little aid to your use of the Sarum Prayer, um, you can do that. I will, I'll put those on the back. We'll, we're going to leave one because this is an object of, not an, no, it's not an object of worship. It's, a, it's an offering of worship. Yeah, right. We wouldn't worship the painting that Joan made so much as this. She's offering it up. Yeah, okay, I think I got my theology straight there, Joan. Otherwise, we would have had, boom, you know, it would have been like bad news. Yeah, ruin your beautiful painting. Um, uh, uh, I wanted to ask, I'm super kind of um, looking forward to Tabitha sharing a bit of of her story. Last week, I asked someone to share about um, making use of one of the AA prayers, uh, the set prayers featured in AA, and Tabitha is willing to do that and give us a little bit of her story. And let's welcome, uh, let's welcome Tabitha. I'm working. So I am part of a secret society. <laughs> Top secret, it's anonymous. Um, first of all, I wanted to give a shout out to the moms who are supporting their LGBT kids um, all around the world, and especially in the US and in California. Um, I was raised in a particular religion where there were two things I was gonna do. I was gonna be, a, I was either going to be a missionary or I was gonna be a wife with kids. And I attempted to be what I was supposed to be which only caused more harm to myself and to others. Um, But when I decided to finally be true to myself, I left the organization and lost the community and family that I had for the first 23 and a half years of my life. Mm. And it has caused a great deal of heartache when it comes to a relationship with God, because at first it's really hard to separate religion from God. And so I just want to give a shout out to the moms who love their kids unconditionally and support them because it's it's going to help them in the future too with their relationship with a higher power so thank you for doing that so i have my glasses so i decided to um share a little bit about the seventh step prayer if i can find it because i've conveniently lost it Give me one moment, please. (laughs) I know it by heart, but I'm not going to go there. (laughs) Hmm? It's not the serenity prayer, no. Okay, so maybe I'm going to go there. I had it marked. Anyways, (gasps) I'm getting closer. It's just because I'm nervous. My heart rate's like... All right. Returning home. Okay, trust you. you trust me? You think yeah. I can find it? Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Please help me. Okay. 
Anyways, it's, it basically goes something like this. My creator, I offer myself to thee. No, that's not it. That's the third step prayer. My creator, I am now willing that you would have all of me, good and bad. Um, please relieve me of every single defect of character that stands in the way of my usefulness to you and to others. Please grant me strength as I go out from here so that I may be able to do your bidding. See, I didn't even need the book. That's awesome. Um, <clears throat> so what that prayer means to me is, <clears throat> first of all, <clears throat> something very important, that God accepts me, good and bad. You know, there, there isn't this judgment of, I'm only going to love you if you do good. I'm not going to love your mistakes. I accept all of you. And um, that makes a huge difference because I screw up daily. <laughs> you know, <clears throat> and before I was in recovery, I screwed up often. And the screw-ups that I made were very harmful to others, you know, and harmful to myself. And I did things that I was never proud of, especially when I was under the influence. And um, to know that I can be forgiven for those is, is an amazing thing. Um, but it also helps me because sometimes, because they have this thing called sponsorship. So as long as I'm not perfect, I might say I can't sponsor anyone because I still make mistakes. But the truth is, is that each of my mistakes can be turned around for something good and helping someone else. And sometimes even when I make a mistake in front of someone else, even though I'll beat myself up like no tomorrow later for it, the thing is, is it offers help to someone else who has the same struggle. You know, because it, it lets them know that we're not, we're not perfect and we don't have to be. And that we just have to keep trying to help others. And that's what that's all about. Please help me to help others. So I, I've gone over my three minutes. So thank you very much. So one of the other um, featured prayers in Alcoholics Anonymous, is, which is really a... a a pathway of spiritual recovery. It's uh, every, everyone should read the big book sometime of AA and the uh, 12 steps and 12 traditions and I think you'd get a lot out of it whether or not you're dealing with alcohol or any other addictive process. It's just a, a really powerful path of spiritual renewal and um, of the handful of prayers that AA will tend to recommend, uh, one of the more significant is called the serenity prayer. And it's, a, it's what's described as a set prayer or a ready-made prayer. I want to just offer, beginning a little wisdom from Anthony Bloom, whose book, Beginning, uh, Beginning to Pray, is quite a little gem. He was, Bloom was a physician who served in the French resistance in World War II. So he was very much an activist person. And then he became a bishop in the Eastern Orthodox tradition. And, and Bloom uh, orients us to ready-made prayers, he calls them. He says, spontaneous prayers are like, prayers from the heart on the fly are good for the peaks and for the valleys. So something great happens and you bust out with a thank you God or you're in dire straits and you cry out help God. And these are the prayers that just erupt like geysers when our hearts are full of joy or desperation. But most of the time our hearts are not bursting with anything in particular. So enter step 11 in the 12 steps. We sought through prayer and meditation 
to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood God. So improving something is like a slow, lifelong process. And this is the kind of praying that uh, ready-made prayers are especially helpful for facilitating. They're like prayers for the daily slog. I think um, Alcoholics Anonymous, uh, Phyllis Tickle would say that it was like the beginning of a completely different approach to spirituality uh, uh, just after the war. It's a very significant time spiritually, not just for the recovery of al alcoholics. And uh, one of the things that, that um, AA did for all of us is it was like a, a field testing of the kind of prayers that really make a significant difference for helping people who really need to make contact with God to do so. So these prayers were not selected by um, monks in a monastery or by nuns or by the liturgical commission um, of some church for their theological depth and beauty or their artfulness. They're selected mostly, mostly by non-religious types who are battling uh, their inner demons like we all do. And these were the prayers that helped them in that process. So. Uh, the Serenity Prayer was originally uh, compiled, lots of versions of the Serenity Prayer that are um, floating around, but the original is traced to Reinhold Niebuhr, who was a theologian, ethicist, and pastor. He actually was the pastor, his first church was in the city of Detroit, my hometown, in the 1920s. Under his leadership, it grew from 66 to 700, so that was interesting. The uh, KKK was very prominent in Detroit politics in, in that era. And Niebuhr actually organized against the Klan during a key city uh, election when the Klan and white supremacy was on the rise in Detroit. It had, the Klan had actually fielded several candidates who were running for Detroit City Council and he kind of organized against that and ended up defeating those candidates. And so there's a contemporary relevance to this prayer. It's not a surprise that our first African-American pre uh, president, um, Reinhold Niebuhr, was like his favorite theologian. I think he um, cited Niebuhr extensively in his acceptance speech when he won the Nobel Prize. So this is the prayer, and I think it's available. Um, no, we don't have it. Uh, let's Let's just wait on that. Um, let's just wait on that. I'll just, I'll just read it out. God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. That would be the part of the serenity prayer that you'd be most familiar with probably. But it goes on. There's a longer version. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardships as the pathway to peace, taking, as Jesus did, this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, trusting that he will make all things right if I surrender to his will, that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with him forever in the next. Amen. So the first part is well known. Uh, but, you know, uh, but the second part includes 
a really important motto in AA, right? One day at a time. That comes from the longer form. So Bill W. wrote this, uh, uh, the big book on page 87. He talks about set prayers. He says, we, we in the fellowship of AA select and memorize a few set prayers which emphasize the principles we have been discovering. So he's, you're selecting a prayer. You're finding a prayer that fits your need, your particular need. You're selecting from among all the possible uh, set prayers that are available. And then you're memorizing those few special prayers that are necessary for you to get through your day. And you want to memorize it like you memorize the password of your smartphone because you don't want to have to be looking it up in your smartphone in order to access your smartphone for readiness of uh, and ease of use. Um, Uh, Bill W. later wrote, whenever I find myself under acute tensions, I lengthen my daily walks and slowly repeat our serenity prayer in rhythm to my steps and breathing. So he's using like a meditative use of the serenity prayer. So this is the prayer that we use when anxiety and distress and fear and envy and guilt and resentment and moldering anger are just wearing us down and we need some help. So let's review it line by line as we consider it, whether it's a a prayer worthy for us to select, whether it fits our need. Begins, of course, with God. God, grant me the serenity. So that's what's called the serenity prayer. The, the, The thing that Jesus actually dispensed to distress people first Like it was his first emotional aid when he walked into a room and he could like cut the anxiety with a knife. He didn't say like, everybody calm down, you know. He was like, my peace I give you. It's like Jesus knew that like anxiety is contagious. We catch it from each other, but peace is also contagious. We can confer it on others. When we're around someone who is peaceful, we feel more peaceful. God, grant me the serenity, to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can. This is like a really important distinction for us to recognize. Some things are within our control. Other things are way beyond our control. And which it is we're facing really does matter in the moment. So obviously many of us have a very strong instinct to control and along with that we often have an exaggerated hope of control in every situation it's kind of a a fiction that we maintain to shield ourselves from how vulnerable we are so um, a couple of years ago a good friend of mine who's younger than I am fitter than I am and eats better than I am had a heart attack And I wasn't able to do my usual thing when I hear about someone like my age having some issue like that. I'm always like, oh, well, they they overate or they were smokers or they, you know, there was, they they had bad genes and all the way, I'm different. You know, it's like we try to like deal with our vulnerability by giving ourselves the fiction that we can control all these factors that uh, cause bad things to happen and it's just a fiction that it's it, you know you run out you run out that string pretty quick 
So we tend to ignore the possibility when things are coming at us in the rush of life as we're engaging it, that some of these things really are just beyond our control. And, and we bear down harder when we're facing those things. It's, it's like, um, it's like you know, you're digging a hole with a shovel and, and you hit a rock. And, and at first, what do you do? You bear down, you're just like boom, boom. And then you realize, I could break this shovel. Sometimes you do break a shovel when you're starting out digging holes in your life. Eventually, you learn to accept the rockness of the rock in its rock-like existence. You admit that the rock, in this case, has the upper hand, and you dig around the rock. So there are different strategies for dealing with different things that are coming our way. God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. This is like a brilliantly simple, effective, helpful thing to pray. It's not always clear what we're facing. We need wisdom. You know, um, Emily, a couple of weeks ago, was talking about the Lord's Prayer and was dealing with the question of the gendering of God and the Lord's Prayer and how you can use different, different pronouns and all that. And I think this is interesting because um, wisdom in the Bible, the Greek is Sophia, is gendered as a female personification of God uh, called Lady Wisdom. Uh, Lady Wisdom in the book of Proverbs is uh, characterized in various ways. She's characterized as a lover, first of all. Uh, but her femininity isn't like 18th century dainty Victorian. Lady Wisdom like cries out in the street. She calls, she raises her voice in the street. She throws banquets. She builds a house. She uh, hews her own pillars for the house that she builds. And she uh, throws parties and she mixes wine. Let's do a series on Lady Wisdom sometime. Sounds like it would be a fun series. So if you're image of God is like hyper masculine like all of, all of the ways that God has been conveyed to us is like masculine 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 um, pray for wisdom and picture wisdom as a woman who's a lover a builder a pillar hewer a party thrower like a, a full of life being not a scold and it will begin to change your image of God in a good direction. God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference living one day at a time. So like, this is, this is almost like a tutorial in serenity, this prayer, praying it over and over. Um, there's a lot of our suffering is necessary in life. I mean, this like things happen and they're unavoidable. There's a lot of necessary suffering, but there's also a great deal of unnecessary suffering. And a lot of our unnecessary suffering is a function of our projecting fear-driven future scenarios out there, right? You know, psychologists call this catastrophic thinking. So, um, you notice, um, an ache or a pain or like, oh, there's a little swollen thing under my chin there. It's like a, like a mildly negative thing. And, but then your brain hops on the calamity train, right? And the first stop on the calamity train is you figure, you, you picture yourself getting a biopsy 
And then the next stop on the calamity train is you're talking to the oncologist whose face is white because he's so frightened by what it is you're facing and the bad news he's giving you. Then you're dying a miserable death. And if you're really good on, on riding that calamity train, you'll even go past your own death and you'll either picture your loved ones whose lives are now a disaster because you're gone or worse, that nobody will miss you. And, and it's like, how much further can we go? on this train and then you kind of wake up and you realize oh it was like a oh that's a muscle that's a muscle in my chest I was I was doing push-ups I forgot it's not the beginning of a heart attack living one day at a time uh, signals your brain to get off the calamity train um, Jesus uh, had a saying that was along these same lines each day has trouble troubles enough of it of its own my, my gammy, my grandmother, my, mo my mother's side used to quote the King James, sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Each day has troubles enough of its own. Just face the troubles in your day, not the troubles that are going to come down the line. Living one day at a time. And then I like this, enjoying one moment at a time. So I just eat desserts way too fast. Um... You know, I hope that, you know, O.C., my stepdaughter, she's, uh, she's there for me because she takes her time and often she doesn't want to finish her dessert and I get the, like, the leftovers from O.C.C. This was like, wow, I, I like having a stepdaughter. <laughs> I, get the, I get the dessert. Julia has, has learned to, that, you know, when I eat it fast and I look at her with my doe eyes, you know, she, she now protects the rest of her dessert. <laughs> she enjoys it slowly. But I always regret not savoring my dessert while I'm wolfing it down and I reflect afterwards and I'm like, even while I'm, I'm, I'm working on one bite, my mind is like focused wanting lustfully that next that next bite and I forget to savor what I'm enjoying in the moment even when life in general sucks there's always some simple pleasure to be enjoyed in the moment so God help us enjoy uh, one moment at a time accepting hardships as the pathway to peace so hardships happen um, AA has a little more raw phrase uh, for that it's S happens uh, I'm being extremely guarded and careful in my speech up here in the pulpit and I've praised myself for it um, <laughs> Jesus said in this world you will have troubles you know like stuff happens but how we frame stuff happening really matters in the moment. If we, you know, frame stuff happening as that's a hostile universe exacting its vengeance on us, or worse, that's a personal God exacting his vengeance on us, punishing us. Well, we're just empowering the hardships to torment us further. But if we frame hardships differently as, say, the path to peace, we reduce their power to bully us. So, you know, I went through um, years of children getting sick 
and um, uh, my daughter's Amy's here, and, and she contributed quite a, a bit of this stuff. You know, kids, little kids, they have ear infections, they have colds, they have flu, they have croup, they have colic, they, they go through teething. You know, you, you finally get to the point where, where they're, you know, like they're not nursing every 10 minutes and you're like, oh, I'm in the clear. I get, and then they start teething. And they don't just teeth 32 teeth at a time, one at a time. They teeth one at a time. And you're, you, you just think you're over one thing, another pop. Oh my God. Food allergies. Amy had food allergies. I don't blame her. I, I, sometimes I do, but she had food allergies. And, and, you know, all this stuff has a rippling misery effect on everyone around. Lost sleep, increased irritability, cabin fever, worry, doctor's visits, uh, you know, expenses. But as long as they survive, all those infections are actually quite necessary to build the immune system. Like we don't start off with a robust immune system. Our immune system gets triggered by the little infections that we endure and then it's strengthened so that when a really big thing comes down the pike, we've got a stronger immune system to face it. You know, a number of us who started this church went through a, a, a ugly religious ordeal together. And while the suffering was real and, and it leaves its scars today, um, it led to something better. And so that, that, that's a framing, seeing hardships as a pathway to peace. We must, through many hardships, enter the kingdom of God um, Paul is quoted as saying in the book of Acts. So taking as Jesus, I, I just love, this is like my favorite part. It's not a well-known part of the prayer. Taking as Jesus did. Niebuhr you, used the personal term Jesus. AA translated that to, to he. Taking as Jesus did this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it let that sink in. Taking, as Jesus did, the sinful world as it is, not as I would have it. You know, there, there's a difference between like wanting to improve the world, wanting to repair the world, and then imposing on uh, our will on the world, like seeing the world as an extension of our being that we have to impose our will and control and domination over it. I mean, think about it. If, if Jesus is God in flesh appearing with, you know, presumably divine rights over everything, it's really instructive that he didn't like come and whip the world into shape in three years. Um, he prophetically overturned the uh, tables of the money changers in the temple. But the next day, the money changers were back. You know, the tables were set up. Business was going on as usual. Uh, for someone who accepted the title Lord, he was pretty patient and tolerant of the sinful world as it is. Um, Jesus, in his ministry as a human being, he just operated within a pretty limited human frame. Um, he did do extraordinary deeds of power, but he didn't do them on a grand scale. I mean, most of his important acts of compassion and power were like one-on-one. -on -one. They weren't even noticed by others. Um, yes, he, he fed the 5,000. But he fed the 5,000, not the 5 million or the 500 
million. He was operating within like a limited human frame. Jesus saw suffering up close, uh, probably more than most of us do, and he did more to alleviate the suffering he saw, but he didn't stew in frustration at the world's resistance to change. You know, that's often, that's like our need to control operating over us. Uh, Jesus took time to recharge. He took time away from need. He, he observed the Sabbath. He enjoyed parties. He liked food. And e even as he set about improving things, he, he took the world as it is, not as he would have it be. Trusting that God will make all things right if I surrender to his will. This is, this is like genius here. Not trusting that God will make all things right so I don't have to do anything about it. You know, like, oh, God's going to take care of climate change. We don't have to worry about it. You know, that's, that's, that's not good, people. Um, but trusting that God will make things, all things right if I surrender to his will. So there's, there's this massive weight of responsibility on God, but it's not an inexhaustible weight of responsibility on God, that even as we acknowledge that, we recognize our necessary responsibility that's different than God's. And he's got the big part, but we have the necessary small part, which is to discern and then surrender to his will, to discern and surrender to the good, to discern and surrender to love. That I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with him forever in the next. I love the modesty of this. Um, you know, since the 1970s, everyone is telling everyone else to dream big dreams, right? I mean, if you can watch the Olympics and the, there'll be the interviews after, afterwards. And, Do you have anything to say to young people? Well, just tell them that if they just put their mind to it or whatever, that they can win the giant slalom. And you got, you got little kids actually believing that. And, and the mantra from preschool is, you can be anything you want to be. Um, the serenity prayer is like stepping back from that um, for a moment, and it offers a much more uh, modest expectation that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy in the next. So it's not wildly happy, it's reasonably happy. It's not happy all the time, um, but happy enough given the constraints that we're all under um, but also never letting go of the hope of a future supreme happiness. So it's this, to me, it's a genius combination of moderation, modesty, and like go for broke. Um, because uh, the little joys that we experience, they cannot help but like, we can't help but interpret them as coming from a place where joy is just... 24-7, off the charts, like Blissville Incorporated.
When, when you experience a little taste of joy, you cannot help but believe that this is coming from somewhere and it's a glorious somewhere from which it cometh. And hoping in that is actually a quite mentally healthy thing to do for living in our constrained uh, present. So moder moder modesty and moderation of expectation combined with go for broke hope, that's a really potent spiritual combination. So think of prayer. Emily named this uh, prayer series um, Shaping Desire. Shaping desire, because prayer is a way of shaping our desire, the desires of our heart. Um, you know, we find ourselves wanting, desiring things that over time we realize don't actually lead to, they don't lead to happiness, sustainable happiness. They don't lead to um, joy. They don't lead to our well-being. They're, uh, it's like it's like cocaine it's like it stimulates what seems like dopamine in your brain but then it inhibits your brain's ability to release dopamine and it's like it's good at first but it doesn't it doesn't last so we need help shaping the desires of our heart and and actually christianity is a is a religion that um befriends desire and doesn't um deny desire like works with the with desire. So think about this prayer. Is this the sort of prayer that would shape the desire of your heart in a desirable to you direction? And that's something only you can decide. Um, is, this, is this a prayer you would want to, as Bill W. recommends uh, in his fellowship, to select and then to memorize? So uh, for our quiet reflection, we're going to pass out... Um, kind of an, a, an interesting version of the prayer. I've left blank all those places that name God in the prayer and that vary in different versions. Reinhold Niebuhr said Jesus at one point. AA changed it to he and then used the masculine pronoun throughout for God. And we've left all those sections blank so that if you'd like to personalize this prayer, you can kind of make your own choices about how you refer to God in a way that's helpful for you. So this is part of like selecting a prayer that works for you. I'm a Jesus freak, so I'm putting Jesus in that first part. I, I like that. Um, but, you know, you might want to put he in one spot. You might want to put she in another. You could use the non non-gendered God language, whatever works for you, but, you know, this is something, if you're going to select it, it needs to work for you. So that's going to be our quiet reflection time. I'm just going to give you a couple minutes alone with uh, the serenity prayer, and um, you can consider it and, and fill in the blanks on your card for the way that the divine is named. Um, so that it fits you. I'll let you know when our time is up.
And then once you've made those choices and noted those down, just take another minute and let's just review that prayer. See if it's a good one for your situation.